Welcome to the How to Not Execute Your Strategy podcast. I'm your host, Tim Ohai. This series is dedicated to the biggest lessons learned from the people who own strategic execution, the senior leaders who live in the center of it. My guest today is Martin Lewis. Born in the UK, emigrating to Canada, and now living in the US, Martin started his career as a frontline salesperson and eventually rose to CEO of a multinational corporation. He now runs his own company, Market Partners, Inc., where he and his team help everyone from startups to globally recognized industry giants turn his deep research into how customers buy into the foundation for a company's operations. Listen now as we explore how failure is an absolute essential for successful execution. Let's get to it. Martin, it is so good to see you. I it's it's going to be a fun dialogue, but I have got to call out right off the bat. That is not a fake background. That is your actual library. I've been in that room. Um, it's stellar. And I, I still, how many of those books have you still got to read? Just curious, because I know you're trying to go through them, but it's there's a lot in your room. Gosh, Tim. Well, it's good to be here. And it was good when you were here. I look forward to the next time. And yeah, there's a lot of books here that we inherited when we bought the house. There's a lot of books that I'm still uh, still got on the list to, to take a look at. That's cool. And I'm going to give a little plug for your book. The little little row of yellow books there uh, is is your book. It would tell us briefly the name of the book and how to go get a copy. Well, it's available on Amazon and where all good books are sold, how customers buy and why they don't. And you'll see why they don't is in red. Because that is the key. Why don't customers buy what's good for them? That's going to be literally a, a whole nother, We could do a whole podcast series on that topic. I'm going to move on. But as folks uh, have heard in the introduction, you really work with companies to help them get stronger relationships between their customers, their market, and and the value that, that you hopefully create together. Um, I want to take a dip away from that marketing and revenue generation theme and go into strategic execution because you've worn some pretty senior hats. And even in your role now, you're advising very senior people with your consulting practice on how to execute their strategy. And I want to dig into that today. How's that sound? That sounds great. And uh, it's not that far away from what I do every day, which is what you just pointed out. Pretty much, pretty much. It's where the real money's made for sure. Okay. So same question everybody gets. Number one, uh, tell, tell us about a time where you had a strategy that didn't go as planned and what'd you learn from it? Well, does it ever? <laughs> I don't I don't know. Actually, that's a really funny. I don't know if I've ever talked to anybody who's had a strategy go exactly as planned. They've had successful strategies, but to go as planned, yeah, I don't know. I, I would question whether that was a strategy in the first place. Oh, that's funny. It's probably a tactic. Yeah. So, you know, um, so quite seriously, um, thinking about that, there are so many times. In fact, qu quite seriously, I can hardly think of any time I've seen a strategy or put a strategy in place that's actually rolled out as envisioned. Mm. I really um, When does it fail? Well, it's an interesting thing. Failing is um, learning. Mm. I, I, when I was a CEO um, before I started Market Partners, I remember we did this very, very large marketing campaign. And it was... The largest, I, I'd been with the company about six to nine months, and we committed a lot of money to a net national marketing campaign that uh, we predicted was going to be like a watershed. And the results we got from this marketing campaign were like zero. It oh, was wow. so bad. It was like incredibly bad. So I remember my director of marketing, I think uh, he and 
his number two, she, they really thought they were going to be fired. They were going to lose their jobs because we put a lot of time and effort into this marketing campaign and we literally got nothing from it. Wow. We, we did the brief and they, they walked into the conference room and I think they were really thinking that they, they would be gone by that day. And I said, this has been just fantastic. And they're kind of, what? Like, is this guy crazy? I said, think of all the information we've gained. Like, we didn't just put this together casually. The best minds in the company thought this was a really good strategy. We put the marketing campaign together in all of its elements. We rolled it out. And, like, we were so wrong. Wow. So why? So this is a gift. Because, mm. it was, yes, as I look back, it was probably one of the most massive failures I've ever had because it was so dramatic. <laughs> why did we do it? Why did we think that? So it actually gave us a whole load of information about our business, about our markets. And I, I, I say, if we do that again, we've got a problem. Yeah, but right. First time you, you gain two things from everything you do. You, you gain the business results, but you also get the learning, the information, the knowledge. I said, we are so rich in that one at the moment. Like, what is it we can take from this? What can we learn? What are we going to do differently next time? That's a huge lesson. I mean, you 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 never want to you know go out with the intention of failing. Uh, that's just not the not the idea. But to literally have a mindset that approaches failure as uh, let's just say the one offs are truly there for learning. It's not a failure. If it happens, to, as you said, over and over again, now you've got a yeah, potentially a competence problem. But with that said, how did you create that mindset in yourself? And how did you make sure your team then started thinking the same way? Because you're talking at a next level kind of thinking, because most of us, frankly, and I, you know, I are a recovering control freak, but most of us, you know, control is a, is a, is a tough thing. You want to white knuckle your way through to execution. Do you know, you, you asked me a very deep question there. Where did this come from with, him, with me? I, I don't know, uh, mm. but I suggest two things. My mother, mm. was a, she would do lots of things and fail at many, but she, it was never failure. It was always the experience. The experience is why I'm here. I've done this. It didn't work out like I wanted. In fact, it may have been embarrassing, yeah. but I've learned something. So definitely from my mother. And then also a course that I went on thankfully, very, very early in my career when I was a project manager and I was in my early 20s and I did this two-week immersion program in, in program management. Hmm. And it taught me, one of the main things I walked away from was focus on what you can control. Hmm. If you can't control it, let it go. Hmm. If you can do something about it, do something about it. Hmm. So when you're faced with an issue, what can you do about it? If there's something you can do about it, do it. If there's nothing you do about it, let it go. And that really, really influenced me deeply and wow. lets me sleep at night. So I think to answer your question, that's kind of where it comes from. And when you, you fail at saying this, nothing you can do, you can't go back, but what you can do is learn and do something differently in the future. So I agree with you that, that failure is all part of success. It's all part of learning. Mm. Um, so it's an odd word that we use. In fact, I, I, in some ways I'd like to eradicate the way we use failure. Mm. Um, but yes, if you do the same thing several times, you expect a different result. If you're making the same mistake repeatedly, that is another problem. That wow. to me is more edging on a failure because you're so, not learning. Yeah. So, so, so to learn, there we go. A failure to learn is different. 
So you've got you've got a couple different things going on there, and I'm sorry to, to jump in so quickly. Uh, the the uh, well, and this is this is normal for us. Welcome to my my head. Um, so uh, Tim's having fun. Uh, so the idea though of a mindset about failure is that failure really is an opportunity to learn. So that's one thing. And, and, you know, that could be called a growth mindset that could be all a variety of different things. But then there's this other, other side of it is truly understanding. It's almost the Zen of, you know, and you've heard me say control's a myth, but you know, control what you control, control the controllables or, or I say influence what you can um, because you can't control the weather. You can't control traffic. You can't control your neighbors, you, you know, et cetera. When you, that's, that's more of a neutral mindset, right? That, so you've got this, this positive calibration and you've got this neutral calibration happening at the same time. And you, it sounds like you you have to constantly balance both. Is that is that fair? I, I think that's exactly right. And I, I'm thinking of you when you're dealt a hand of cards, that hopefully is random. You can't control that, but you can control now what you do with those cards. Mm, mm. And I think this is life. In fact, really interesting. I'm going to flip this around and talk about what is success, right? And a friend of mine who I think has been very successful in his life. We often talk over a few drinks normally about what is success and um, success to us. And I feel very passionate on this. It's not fame and fortune and career. Success is being able to play the cards you're dealt mm. with grace to take whatever life throws at you, whether it's mm. crap or great, whatever it may be. And, and life does have a habit of throwing things at you and it yeah, can it be great fortune because of luck maybe or because of hard work whatever and it can be some really tough stuff and i know you've gone through some really tough stuff a lot of people do and it's being able to recover from that with grace say stay true to yourself and continue that to me is what success is so i'm going to flip that around and saying failure is kind of the inability to do that wow that you look at the cards you dealt and you go wow. oh, I, I can't play i'm leaving right wow um, yeah it's amazing how much mindset affects the execution of your strategy. So you mentioned you started at the very beginning, tactics versus strategy. And people get so wrapped up in the activity. And the activity is an extension, ultimately, of your mindset. Because if my mindset is closed, it's hard, it's critical, the activities are going to feel closed and hard and critical. Um, and if I'm open and I'm positive and even neutral at the same time, I give this flexibility to my execution that it would otherwise not have. Yeah. Absolutely. So really interesting, as is often the case when you and I are talking, new ideas spring to my mind, right? And that what I'm on now is obviously culture strategy. A friend wow. of mine says culture eat strategy for breakfast. Mm. Um, so where I've gone with what you just said is I'm thinking about execution I'm thinking about strategy and I'm thinking about mindset. And I've put this together in my mind in the last minute hmm. in the following way, if I can remember. And that is that you can write your strategy down. You can have posters on the wall of the strategy, right? Which companies do in many, many ways. Is that what sets up the culture? No, it's your mindset. Hmm. Way more important than the strategy that's been written down or the posters on the wall is your mindset that people are experiencing. And that's, in my mind, that's what set, sets up the, the, the culture and the framework for execution. It's your mindset, which comes through in 
your communication, it becomes comes through in your behavior, it comes through in so many ways to the team that you're part of and that's working with you. Wow. So I I mean, I I fully believe culture is like your bedrock of your execution. And and um you, you can you can invest in that, you can shape it, you can whatever, but it's really, really hard work to do. Culture is it's it's arguably in in my experience, I've seen it change and improve over time, but once it's built, it's built. It's hard to make those changes. Yeah. How Absolutely. do you, how do you, and now I want to, I want to dip a little bit into your consulting business and helping other companies. How do you help them navigate their execution when their culture is off? I mean, I'm not going to mention names, but we know a company that the culture actually got in the way of their ability to execute what was so glaringly obvious and they couldn't figure it out because literally culture um, hamstrung the way people thought and the decisions that were made. So how do you advise? How do you help companies figure that out? Um, do we know companies where that isn't the case? Usually, usually they're smaller. Let's just say that. Yeah, yeah. But even that comes with some cultural norms mm -hmm. that are, are the bedrock, the foundation. They're the set of how do we do things, what's important. Um, the first thing, and this is like Alcoholics Anonymous, the first thing is you've got to admit that that's where you are. You've yeah. got to admit that that's your culture. And it's not all bad. Like um, even that particular company we're talking about, if you took their culture apart, there's many things about it that's goodness. Yeah, and in for fact, sure. even the bits that for you may sure. say are questionable probably came from goodness in the past. Yeah, yeah. So you've got to admit where you are and not beat yourself up about it. Uh, but you've got to look at where are you? What do we do well? What areas do we need to change? And and that's it. It's the looking at yourself in the mirror. And in fact, a lot of what we do with our clients and, and of course, doing what we do, which is looking at how customers buy. So we usually start by going to their customers and asking them about what's important to them. So we have voice to the customer. We have the external voice coming into the company saying, this is this is what people want from you. This is what they think is great. These are the things that change. So we have voice of customer, which really drives, should drive change. Because it's something outside the organization that's important coming in, not your opinion versus somebody else's. But to go back to where I was. Can I, I wanna, I'm going to jump in and yeah. pause because you told me I could do this before the restart of yeah. recording. Yeah. That last statement, I, I and it may be just a summary point, but a really strong execution culture is going to have that tie to whoever it is that you're serving, whether it be if you're government, it's not customers, it's, you know, you're, you're serving the, the, the populace. But if you're a company, you've got clients, if you're a healthcare group, you've got patients, that idea of culturally, that is our starting point, our starting point is who we're serving. Now that comes into what we execute, because to your example earlier, if you execute what doesn't serve them, it it's a waste. Is that, am I hearing it right? You are so right. And uh, I'm going to put in an underscore here. Serving them doesn't mean reacting to their every wish. Yeah. Yeah. Starbucks changed how we bought coffee. Apple's changed how we buy consumer electronics. Yeah. Ford changed how we buy transportation. So it doesn't mean just reacting to their every wish, which people get very confused by this when we talk about what we do. They think that, oh, you mean customer service. You've got to delight every customer. No, you can change how yeah. you interact with customers. You can change how people interact with the marketplace. But what you just said is the key, that that is our ultimate stakeholder, shareholder, customer. So their voice 
is is absolutely in my mind the key and so to go to culture and what we were saying um so i have the fascinating job of many many times a year going into a company and saying this is how your market behaves this is how they see you and almost invariably and we do this during the course of a one or two day workshop almost invariably people say yeah but who did you talk to you didn't talk to ted did you, you didn't talk to ted at abc company or or marriott if you talked to them you would have heard something different that's usually when we say well wait a minute we we talked to 60 of your customers we talked to two or three people in each customer you gave us the names mm. now you're telling us 86 percent of people said this and you're telling us that we heard that wrong but if we talked to this individual over here it would have been different and sometimes we even have to say well we'll talk to him see if it's any different it's not so the first thing is you didn't talk to the right people mm. then it's well you didn't talk about the right things did they understand that we can do this for them and there's this rejection usually and it's the we're good they're bad but wow. then during the course of the two days something magical happens and it usually happens during the, the kind of the afternoon the day one people start to say well wait a minute should we be listening to this because if we accepted this as the truth that explains some other things that have been going on so all of a sudden you get people to see the world differently as they face up to their own culture, their own norms, and they start to put that in the mirror, look at it and go, wow, maybe we haven't been seeing this clearly. And if we accept this picture, it now comes to focus and now we can move forward. So I'm going back to my alcoholics anonymous. Okay. I admit I have a problem. So that openness, and I'm going to pivot us over into the second question now, yeah. um, this idea of what are the top two or three, you know, skill sets or mindsets that you think everybody should have. It, it, it almost sounds as if openness and willingness to, to learn, willingness to be wrong is critical as a skill set everyone needs to have if you're going to execute, because that aha moment will lead to doing different things, making different decisions, and ultimately executing a different way. Is, yep. So Absolutely. would you would you consider openness one of the top things that you're looking for in people? Without doubt. Okay. How, what Without do you look for? What does that look like when you're, well, let's say you're you're going to bring somebody into a project or you're, you know, you've hired somebody in the past. You want to make sure that they're, they're going to fit the business. Um, what are the things that you're looking for? What kind of questions um, do you ask? I'm looking or I would look for and I do look for whether people learn. Mm. And we've used the popular thing, strength finders, mm. uh, learners. Mm. We, we find in our company, and I'm not saying this, but we find in our company, having learning, learner in your top five strengths is that makes you fit in mm. our culture. Mm. But then generally speaking, somebody who is open and is looking to learn is open to new ideas, criticism of, of what they're doing. Somebody that's open to that. I, I think is absolutely key. Now it's interesting because that then takes me to something else that I think is very important. It's fortitude. Hmm. So you can't, when you get some criticism or you get new data, you can't suddenly swerve your strategy. So this is a really interesting point that I'm fascinated by, that in some ways you've got to have fortitude and strength and confidence to execute your strategy and keep going. So when the first hurdle when you hit the first hurdle you don't kind of go oh this isn't going to work and you fold right you've got to have fortitude and strength and determination you've got to have that 
But at the same time, you got to know when to call it. You got to say, this ain't working. Yeah. And so that's a balance. That's so, so good. That is so good. So let's talk about that balance. Um, yeah. How do you that's get people? A that's a key word right there, balance. Yeah. How do you get people who can do both at the same time? Do you have to coach them into it? Do you send them to training? Do you just hire people who bring that into the business? How do you, how do you build that into your company? And, and I know right now um, your company's not huge, but you've managed large national big yep. stuff. So how do you, how do you find that or nurture that in your culture? Um, such an interesting thing. Um, I'm, I'm having to think, right now on how you do that um i think it's you want people that have that footage you want people but you want people that are i'm going back to the word open yep. open that they don't see themselves as right mm. they don't see themselves as unquestionably correct that would be the danger mm. when they cannot accept criticism they cannot be open they cannot learn so you kind of see that they're shut down. Hmm. And so that allows you or innate, it, it means that you then become extreme in one of these particular things. So you have too much fortitude hmm. or you're learning all the time. And you're changing all the time. Hmm. So that balance brings you together. So how do I see it? Um, it's fairly easy when people, when you start talking to people about what they've done, and I'm a very big believer in BEI interviewing when you're actually looking to hire somebody or work with somebody. If you look at what they've done and how they behaved in the past, why they made the decisions they made, that's very likely going to repeat itself. Mm -hmm. um, so yes, there are times when you want somebody that may have more conviction or strength. Those are the maybe the project managers or those kind of people. There are times when you want somebody that is more open. But then I think uh, as you have to deal with more complexity, more variables, that balance thing becomes really the key. So that's okay. So there's a lot you just, in my mind, I heard. So one, there is, you you want to look at people, how they've handled, you know, did you make a pivot? How did you make that pivot? Was it because you just saw it yourself or you got feedback from other people and their willingness to get that, we'll call it that, that feedback loop? that created great decision-making, but then there's also, there's a different, I heard you say, there's almost a different calibration of expectation based on role. So if you're somebody who's got to make sure things execute and get done, your fortitude meter might, might be a little tweaked to the right, right? So I, I want somebody who's going to press through and deal with the inertia in the organization or the resistance, um, you know, because there's a lot, well, that's just not how we do things. Or we, you know, I'm like, that, we've never done it that way before. Those kind of things you have to press through. That's where fortitude comes into place. And then the other side of it is you may have somebody who's got to, got to be more open and be willing to listen to how it's been done because there's a reason for how it's been done and they've got to be, they've got to learn how to do that. And then as a leader, you're trying to balance that out. Is it trial and error? No, no, it's not trial and error. I, I think that like I already mentioned strength finders. So everybody in our company does strength finders and it gives us a language to communicate with each other. So um, I had somebody working for me and she's an activator, not high on vision and strategy, but an activator. So we were able to say, well, you're getting bored right now because we're talking about strategy and long-term stuff. And when we're done with that conversation, we need to throw it over to you because you're the activator, you'll make it work. So we had that language 
that allowed us to acknowledge different people's skills. Mm. So when you're looking at working in a team or managing a team, yes, you have people. So if you look at, and I'm going to go totally fictitious and hypothetical here, maybe if you're you're working with an architectural company or whatever, your project managers, they need to be jumping, like they need to be just so focused and getting things done. But maybe your architects who are meeting with your customers need to be more consultative, learning, open to new ideas. But let's acknowledge that. Let's let's talk about it, right? And and let's use people's different strengths in the right right roles. That's awesome. Okay, so um, we have a few minutes left. I want to I want to see if there's anything else you want to add to this menu of uh, of things that you want everyone in the organization to have if you're going to be really really good at execution. One more thing. Well, um, execution. I, I'm going to say organization and clarity of mission. Mm, I, I can't more. believe the number of organizations I work with, small teams or very large teams, that people are not working in a coordinated fashion. So you have execution, but it's execution of all different people in all different ways. Gaining the clarity across the organization, across the team of what we're doing, what our different roles are, how we support each other. And, and here I'll come out with something that's one of my favorite things. When we're dealing with senior leadership, they don't make the tough decisions. They throw it down the organization. They'll work it out. They're good people. Well, wait a minute. You're seeing how this, you run a siloed organization. Mm. You're seeing how these people mm. over here and those people over there don't always work well together. And then you're saying, well, they're good people. They'll work it out. No, there's reasons why you have that. Mm. And it should be the executive and the leadership that really have to struggle with the tough decisions of how that's going to work not just let the, the organization try and work it out. So I think we've got to design and enable our organizations for execution. We can't just put posters on the wall with nice words on it and expect the organization to work. We've got to understand how it's working today and then how we enable it and design it for execution. Wow. So I, when you describe a senior leader getting involved and, hey, I want to show up in a meeting and I want to talk about what I'm seeing and I want to become a part of helping the group figure this out because it cannot continue. I I can't, I, maybe, and I'm, I'm going to go, I'm trying to think decades, maybe three times I've seen a leader do that. Almost always a, the senior leader comes in and says, here's the big vision. Here's what we're doing. Vision casting, blah, blah, blah. And they walk out and you're like going, we'll never execute that vision because we've got this problem with that group, this problem with that group. And that leader is a, you can't work with that person or et cetera, et cetera. Or we don't have the budget. We don't have the resources. We've not empowered us to be successful. It's really clear what you want, but you haven't empowered us at all. And I don't even know if I really want to put my life into doing that. You know, uh, do I want to spend that much time and energy on something that I'm not completely sold on? Um, that that human connection, I I don't I honestly don't know how many leaders I've seen do that. I I I, I one stands out in my mind, and if you ask me the best leader I've ever worked for, it would be the same person. Yeah, and uh, wonderful individual. Um, came into the organization and what he would do is when there was a situation that wasn't going well, he would dive in 
And I remember him phoning people on the front line from his office, or he'd walk, mm. he'd say, let's go and see what's happening. And people were, were actually threatened by this because they'd never seen this behavior before. They thought mm. he was micromanaging. Wow. But all the way along, he'd say, I really need to understand. I really need to understand why this occurred. Let's go and talk to them. Let's go and talk to the person there. And, and literally, he'd phone them up or walk into their office and say, so help me understand why. And so people were, were threatened by this a lot. But he was doing it to to actually get involved, understand the underlying reasons, and then seeing what he had to do to change that. So I thought it was incredibly refreshing. And of course, as the organization got to see him more, learn what his style was, they realized, yes, he's using these as examples, not micromanaging. He's using it to chase down the real issue in the belief that people are generally good. Mm. People generally do what they think is the right thing to do. So what's broken? Let's go and find out what's broken, then look at how we fix that. Not fix the people, fix the the methods, the processes, the organization. That to me was incredible. That is amazing. So why is it not so common? Because when you hear it, you just go, oh, of course. Why do we not see that be more the norm of how leaders lead, especially senior leaders? It's tough. It's tough. And it takes you away from your agenda. Good grief. The first time I was made a vice president of digital equipment, um, I walked into my new office and here's my assistant. She came in with the book and said, here's your calendar. And I look at it and, you know, I had Thursday afternoon free. Monday and Tuesday was the quarterly review. Wednesday morning was this, the forecast meeting. My time is taken up by all this leadership stuff. So actually having the time and doing that tough stuff can be seen as, wow, that's like too tactical. That's getting in the way. No, it's not. Mm. No, it's not. Mm. Yeah. Wow. This has been a phenomenal discussion. I'm going to start wrapping us up. I, I literally, um, we could do a whole nother discussion just off of these topics that we've had today. And, and, and I'm hoping everybody listening is like really catching the extra layers that you're you're touching on big, big themes. And especially for anybody here who's running a company or even a startup, you're trying to build a company and you want to, you know, drive these concepts into your DNA. I strongly encourage to re-listen to this episode and think about how you would activate those points because these are literally um, gold, not just nuggets. These are gold like rocks that, can transform how you execute and ultimately transform what you re- what you receive as a reward. Martin, thank you so much. Always a pleasure, Tim. Thank you. Wow. That was a fun conversation full of so many brilliant ideas. I'm curious now, what are your biggest takeaways and how are you going to use them? My three biggest takeaways are your mindset should be that failure is part of the process. It's part of the execution. Make sure that your entire team sees failure as an opportunity. The goal is to maximize the opportunities, not avoid failure. When we fail the same way over and over again, however, well, that's a different problem. Culture is the bedrock of execution. We need to be really honest about the status of our culture and make sure that it's not getting in the way of our execution. The best leaders will not only create clarity, but they will seek clarity for themselves by engaging the front line personally to understand why the execution is bogging down. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with at least one person. 
and leave me a review on whatever platform you downloaded this podcast. Your feedback is invaluable to me. And Imoa, onward and upward. Thank you.